Welcome to Your Torah, a 36-week journey into the world of the 63 books of the Mishnah, 18 minutes at a time. A project of Jofa UK, designed as a special invitation to engage in Torah and make it yours. This episode of Your Torah is dedicated in memory of Yenta Batmina Vayosef and Rachel Batastachana Varuven. Hi, I'm Devorah Schoenfeld. I teach Judaism in the Theology Department of Loyola University, Chicago, a Jesuit Catholic university. Most of my students are Christian, and I especially love teaching Torah to non-Jewish audience. I know this podcast is designed for Jewish women, but if anyone is listening who isn't Jewish, hi, I'm thinking of you too. I find that many of my Catholic students are interested in the Mishnah because it comes more or less from the time of Jesus, and some of the rabbis quoted in it may have been rabbis that Jesus knew. Others like it because it approaches some of the ideas of the Bible in a way that is different from what they've heard before. Others just enjoy learning about a religion and a way of thinking about God that is different from theirs. I love teaching Mishnah in particular because it is a window into a particular way of thinking about God, about our people, and about the world. On the one hand, it is grounded in the practical, the specific details of life. On the other hand, things can be ambiguous and open to interpretation. Sometimes you see different options in the Mishnah itself, but even when you don't, you see disagreements in the Gemara about what the Mishnah means. The Mishnah teaches us that God's revelation is present in every aspect of our lives, and at the same time that reasonable people can disagree about how to live in the face of that constant divine presence. It teaches us to value the transmitted traditions of the sages, that tradition is as valuable as the revealed text of the Bible. At the same time, it teaches us to use our own understanding in approaching this tradition. Baba Kama is one of my favorite tractates in all of the Mishnah because it's about what it means to be a person in the broken world. Baba Kama is about the harm that we cause each other, sometimes without meaning to, and how to take responsibility for that harm. All through the tractate, we see people who might have the best of intentions, but their oxes still trample other people's fields, or gore people, or they knock people with sticks. And they didn't mean to hurt people, but people are hurt. And now that people are hurt, we need to figure out what we can do to make it right. Tractate Bhavakama is one of the three parts of what used to be a very large tractate called Nazikin, which dealt as a whole with monetary matters. It got subdivided into three parts. Bhavakama, the first gate, which is about how to compensate people when you hurt them. That's the one we're going to talk about today. Bhavamatsiya, the middle gate, about how to honor your contracts and how to employ people fairly. And Bhavabhatra, which is about property and inheritance. All right, let's begin the Masachet. Chapter 1, Mishnah 1. Arba avot nizikin, hashor, habor, vameve, vahever. There are four categories of damage, the ox, the pit, the grazer, and the fire. This Mishnah sets up four ways that you can be responsible for damage. The ox comes from Exodus chapter 1, and to me he's the mascot of the whole Masachet. Perhaps some of you have had the experience, you read the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, it's this epic moment of revelation, and then in the next chapter, you get what seems like an entirely random grab bag of mitzvot, including, in verses 28 to 37, a lengthy discussion of what happens if your ox gores someone. After I am the Lord your God in the previous chapter, it seems kind of anticlimactic. Bhavakama brings us back to that ox. 
The ox is something that you own that goes around causing damage. It's alive, so you don't have total control over it. You also don't know whether or not it will cause damage. It might or it might not. But if it does, you are responsible. I find this theologically very interesting as a reading of Exodus 21, that after setting up the great covenant between humans and God, it becomes then very important to think about what it means for people to be responsible for the consequences of their actions. It's not just actions you intend, and it's not just consequences that you can predict. Being a person in relationship with God requires being responsible for all the consequences of your actions in the world, which is heavy and hard, so Bhavakama is here to help. Anyway, that's the first form of damage, the ox. The second is the pit, which is also from Exodus 21, this time verse 21, which states, If a person opens a pit and doesn't cover it, and then it explains that this person is responsible for the damage caused by this pit. The pit is different from the ox in a couple of ways. First of all, it's not alive, so it doesn't have agency of its own. Second of all, it stays where it is. Third of all, it doesn't matter whether you own it or not. It just matters whether or not you have dug it. If you dig a pit in a public place or in someone else's property, it's still your responsibility. So those are the first two categories, the ox and the pit. Third category, the grazer. It is not clear what this means, and in the Gemara on Doth 3b, we have a disagreement. Shmuel says, this is an animal that grazes. So if your sheep is going and grazing in someone else's field, it's this category, and this is different for, from ox because it's normal for sheep to graze. Rob says, no, this is a person who is always responsible for the damage she causes. We'll get back to that soon. Finally, the fourth category, fire. Fire is like an animal in that it can move around, but unlike an animal in that it doesn't have agency. It can also be difficult to control and very, very dangerous. And you need fires. I'm speaking from Chicago, where it is currently negative four degrees Fahrenheit, and if we didn't have a fire for warmth, we'd be gone very quickly. But this is also a city whose downtown was in 1871 almost completely destroyed by the Great Chicago Fire, which killed 300 people and left 100,000 homeless. Fire is necessary for life and also a great risk to life, and we are responsible for it. So these are the four kinds of damage that we're going to learn about in this Masachat. The rest of Chapter 1 and Chapter 2 deal with the damage caused by animals and distinguish between two kinds of animals, which are derived from two kinds of goring oxes back in Exodus 21. One, the short tom, is an ox which has never harmed anyone, so you don't necessarily need to worry about what it's going to do. The other is a shore muad, which is an ox which has gored three times. So in chapter one and chapter two, it distinguishes between other kinds of things, which we can also consider tom and also consider muad. Some wild animals, like the snake, are always muad. But even good, tame animals are always muad to eat the things that they like to eat. In chapter two, we also see different ways that an animal can cause damage. An animal can cause damage by its feet. That is, an animal can damage something by walking on it. Damage can be caused by teeth, that is, an animal can eat something that it's not supposed to eat or that doesn't belong to its owner. Finally, an animal can charge something and gore it with its horn. 
These are all different from each other. An animal walking is normal behavior, so the owner should expect it, but it doesn't necessarily benefit the animal or the owner. An animal eating is normal behavior, but it benefits the animal and also the owner because they won't have to feed the animal later. Goring is not normal behavior, and the owner wouldn't expect it unless the animal is muad, unless the animal has a pattern of acting that way in the past, or you would have some reason to expect it. Chapter 2 ends with a very important principle. Adam muad olam, bain shogeg, bain mezid, bain er, bain yeshen. A human being is always considered muad. Whether you damage accidentally or purposefully, whether awake or whether asleep. So when it's your own behavior that you do with your own body, you always have the highest level of responsibility. You should always know about the damage that you are able to cause. In chapter three, we begin the discussion of damage caused by pits. Pits are fascinating because you're liable for the damage they cause, even if they aren't in any sense yours. If you dig a pit in a public place, on property that isn't yours, the pit is still your responsibility. Similarly, if you dig a pit on property that is yours and then renounce all ownership of the property, the pit is still your responsibility. This makes the category of pit a useful concept for thinking about how one can be responsible for environmental pollution. If you put something damaging in the world, you are responsible for it. But sometimes you need to dig a pit in a public place. Maybe you're digging an irrigation trench or a water pit, something that's going to help both you and other people. The person who dug the pit isn't a sinner. Maybe the pit is necessary. Maybe the pit is good. But it still has the ability to cause harm because a person or an animal can fall into it. So it's on you to cover it properly. Chapter 6 deals with damage that animals do by eating. The thing about eating is that it is normal for animals to eat. So the onus is on you to watch them so that they don't. In chapter 6, Mishnah 2, it states that if you leave an animal in the sun, even if you lock it up, you are responsible for the damage that it causes. The commentary of Bartonura explains that this is because the animal is caused so much suffering by being left out in the sun that leaving it behind a locked gate won't help. The animal is still going to try to get out. So when you are taking care of an animal, you have two kinds of responsibility. First, for the animal itself, and second, for anyone or anything that the animal might harm. Finally, Chapter 6, Mishnah 4, deals in greater detail with the damage caused by a fire. This Mishnah mentions Hanukkah candles and is the only time Hanukkah candles are mentioned in the entire Mishnah. This Mishnah gets quoted in the Talmud, in Tractate Shabbat, and forms the basis of the discussion of the holiday of Hanukkah and its meaning in rabbinic literature. In chapter 7, we see a major shift. So far in Bhavakama, we've been talking about cases where you didn't do anything wrong, but something bad happened anyway. In chapter 7, we move to cases where you did do something wrong. You stole something, or you hurt someone. Chapter 7 deals with times when you have to pay not just for the value of what you damaged, but double the value, or four or five times the value. These extra payments come from the book of Exodus in the Bible, again, Exodus 21. So Exodus 21 verse 37, when a person steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he shall pay five oxen for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. So in this verse in Exodus explains that if you steal something 
and then you destroy the thing you sold, you're responsible not just for compensating the value of it, but actually compensating four or five times the value. Then Exodus 22, verse 6, states, When a person gives money or goods to another for safekeeping, and they are stolen for the man's house, if the thief is caught, he shall pay double. So this is a case where you steal something, and you have to pay back a double amount. In chapter 7, it makes a distinction between times when you have to pay four or five, or times when you have to pay double. Four or five are specifically for goats and sheep, and double have much broader application. So this is really different than anything we've seen in the Mishnah before. Prior to chapter 7, people were doing good things, trying their best, and people still got hurt. In chapter 7, people are actually stealing things. People are actually committing a crime. Even so, the Mishnah gives us a way to make things right. Chapter 8 moves to something even more severe, the question of how to compensate if you cause physical damage to a person's body. This applies whether it's on purpose or by accident. The Mishnah isn't judging your morality. It's not punishing you. It's just trying to figure out how to get everyone what they need. Tractate Sanhedrin and Tractate Makot, which we'll get to soon, are all about criminal penalties. That's when someone goes on trial for a crime. You'll find when you get to them that the rabbis worked very hard to make it easy to exonerate people for a crime. If you go on trial for a crime, there are a lot of laws of evidence that make it very difficult to convict people. But that doesn't mean that there are no consequences when you hurt people. The consequences are the consequences we find here in Bavakama. You need to pay them money, and you need to pay them money for five kinds of things. First of all, the damage you cause the person. To figure this out, you imagine, chas they're a slave being sold in the market. How much would this wound cause them to decrease in value? Second, you have to pay for their pain and suffering. You figure this out by estimating how much a person would have to be paid in order to willingly go through what you put them through. Third, healing. That's straightforward, the doctor's bills. Fourth, the time they have to take off work. Fifth, you pay for the embarrassment that you caused, which is subjective and depends on the person who was damaged and the person who does the damage. But the Mishnah goes on to say, even if someone is walking around naked, and is thus clearly not easily embarrassed, you are still obligated if you embarrass them. Chapter 8, Mishnah 6 tells a fascinating story about a man who rips the head covering off a woman in the street. She brought him before Rabbi Akiva, who fined him 400 zoos. This is a lot of money. It's twice the ketubah, money that a man would have to pay in case of divorcing a woman who had never been married before. Or if you compare it to the Passover song called Gadja, it's 400 goats. The man who assaulted her asked for time, then spied on her, and saw that she uncovered her own head whenever she wanted. He told this to Rabbi Akiva and said, You made me pay all that money for uncovering her head when she uncovers her own head whenever she wants? Rabbi Akiva said back to him, You have said nothing. The problem isn't that her head is uncovered, but that he did it to her without her consent. Even if she uncovers her own head, that doesn't mean it's okay when you do it. Chapter 8 ends with an important principle. When you hurt someone, it's not enough just to pay for the money. You also have to ask for forgiveness. But as the entire chapter makes clear, it is not enough just to ask for forgiveness. 
if you harm someone, you also need to pay the money. Both are necessary. Chapters 9 and 10 describe restitution for things that you've stolen. It sets out the principle that what you stole is what you owe, or in the Mishnah's language, restitution is based on the time of theft. So if you steal wood and make it into dishes, you owe wood, not dishes, even if the dishes are now worth more. Similarly, if you steal good wine and it spoils, you owe good wine, and giving back the spoiled wine isn't enough. In Mishnah 5, it tells us that if you steal and then deny having stolen, you need to personally pay back the owner yourself. You can't give it to a messenger, although you can give it to a court. If you can't give it back to the person who you stole from, you must give it to their heirs. It then deals with some unusual cases. What if you steal from your father? and then your father dies. In theory, you are your father's heir, so can't you just keep the money? No. You need to give it to either your brothers or your father's brothers. Let me end with one of my favorite passages from the entire Masechet. Chapter 3, Mishnah 4. Shnei Kadarin, two potters, shayu malchin that one was walking after the other, v'nitkal harishon v'nafal, and the first one tripped and fell, v'nitkal hesheni barishon, and the second one tripped over the first. Harishon chayav beniske hasheni. The first one is responsible for the damage caused to the second. So this is describing a case in which two people are walking. The first one trips and falls, lying there on the ground, and the second person comes along and trips over her. And what did she do? She just tripped. It's not her fault. But now she's responsible. This gets to why I love Mishnah Babakama. When I read the Torah, it's so easy to feel like, why can't I just get it right? God tells us to do things, we should do them. Isn't it that simple? In Mishnah Bava Kama, we see that the Torah is also for those of us who sometimes mess up. It's even for those of us who sometimes mess up in ways that hurt other people. Sometimes when you fall, other people trip over you. But even when that happens, there's still things that you can do to make things right. And when you do, you are still living according to Torah. The Torah is also for those of us who sometimes fall. This gets us back to Exodus 20 and Exodus 21. Exodus 20 tells us about God's revelation. When we stand before God and say, Naseh Nishma, we will do and we will obey. Moses ascends to heaven and we see God revealed. Exodus 21 tells us about oxes that gore and pits that people fall into. In a world in which people live on this earth and sometimes fall down on it. And even when you are fallen down, God cares what you do. As much as Mishnah Bhavakama is a detailed set of laws, I also like to see it as a commentary on Exodus 21. It's about how to live after revelation in a difficult and unpredictable world. How to live in a world in which we sometimes fall, and how to take responsibility for this world and for our role in it. Thank you. This episode of Your Torah is brought to you by Jofa UK, in collaboration with women from around the world who all share a passion for Torah study. If you are enjoying Your Torah, consider sponsoring an episode. Find out more by visiting ukjova.org. Join the conversation on social media using the hashtag YourTorah.